Hello, and welcome to another episode of Entertain Me, Please. My name is Leslie Hikita, and this is a podcast where I ask my guests to entertain me by telling me what their favorite movie is and why they love it so much. There may be spoilers in the episode. I want to get to the root of what people love most about the movies they chose, and that could include twists and surprise endings. Today, my guests and I talk about the movie Midnight in Paris, starring Owen Wilson, Rachel McAdams, Corey Stahl, Kathy Bates, and Tom Hiddleston. Topics we cover include popcorn and the whole movie-going experience, Hollywood pre-screenings, the new Beverly Cinema owned by Quentin Tarantino, William Atherton, Diego Luna, Julio Cesar Chavez, why documentaries are depressing, pre-September 11th movie making, forced high school reading, Alfred Hitchcock's impact on my childhood, books versus the movies based on those books, Running Man and Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 80s, Chuck Palahniuk and Fight Club, undercover celebrity co-workers, and some fun facts about the movie. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, stay tuned after the interview and I'll tell you what you need to know. All right, on with the show. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you like to do? Sure. My name is Bobby Lopez, and I've known Leslie for many years now. I am a product manager, supposed to be working out of Long Beach, California, but as everybody else in the pandemic, we're working from home. I love movies, and that's why I've been invited to do this. Yeah. It's very exciting. Are movies a big part of your life? I would say it's a very fabric of my life. Both my father and my uncle, whether it's like a guy-heavy movie, we're watching, you know, action movie. My father, believe it or not, is very romantic, and he introduced me to, like, Casablanca and all the, the classics, the black and whites and the color movies of the 70s and things like that. I wasn't really a typical teenager where it's like, once you hit that age, you're like, yeah, nightclubs and stuff. Me, I was more like, oh no, it's Friday night and one of the movies. We're going to go have popcorn and, you know, just the smell, like you, you go to a movie theater, just the feeling of being there in the lobby, you know, popcorn and the, the, just the ambiance of, of what you're you know excited about to see a show yeah i saw a funny meme the other day where it was like uh, it was a bunch of doors and it said you know movies on your netflix queue and then it said movies you've seen a million times and like the guy's kicking down the movies that he's seen a million times <laughs> I could relate to that a million times over because it's it's true. Were you the kind of person who likes to go see a movie opening night? I'm not like you're like a red carpet guy now anymore. It's exciting for me to go to the movies, watch a movie. But yeah, I would say for a few years there, that was kind of the thing. Like, oh man, you know, I would even go to to the point of either A, trying to go to a premiere or B, getting invited to those pre-screenings because I knew the pre-screenings would always have either the director or the star of the show. I mean, I'm not from out of town, but I knew that if you go to a studio or whatever, that's where they do them. Paramount Studios, Universal, they're always pre-screening or they're, they're showing a movie early to you. Mm-hmm. That was a cool thing for me. And then you get old, you get into other things and it's like, eh, you know. Right. Yeah. I used to go to concerts all the time and like wait uh, for the band to come out at the end. And sometimes you would wait two or three hours and be there till like one in the morning. And But now I'm just like, as soon as the show's over, I'm like, I want to go home. <laughs> Yeah, I could totally, I I see where you're coming from. Absolutely. Yeah. Time just becomes more precious. I feel like. (laughs) That's true. Who was one of the best people that you got to see at a pre-screening? That's a great question. And for people who don't live in LA, sometimes you get to do like Q&A with the actors or directors afterward. One of the coolest was, I have to look up his name. Mm Mm-hmm. William Atherton. Okay. So I went to the New Beverly Cinema. And for those of you that don't know, the New Beverly Cinema in, in Los Angeles, it's on Beverly Boulevard off of La Brea, I believe. And it's actually a really cool theater. Totally. 
owned by Quentin Tarantino and Saturday nights he always plays his stuff but he usually plays old movies and things like that so one of the actors is uh, William Atherton the name might not ring a bell to anybody but if you saw his face you'd be like oh yeah of course he's in everything okay and I had this opportunity and we watched I believe the movie was uh, Die Hard and so he's in that movie and then after the movie they did a Q&A and I was able to ask him a question and uh, it was something along the lines of like you know what was it like to work with Val Kilmer and Bruce Willis mm -hmm. and he was super nice and and very friendly and it was one of those coolest moments awesome the second time was really cool i went to a, a latin film festival and gabriel garcia bernal or not not him um his counterpart, they both worked in collaboration to make a documentary about Julio Cesar Chavez, the famous boxer. Okay. First of all, I don't hate documentaries, but I will not watch a documentary. Okay. I go to the movies to escape life. It takes you on a journey, no matter what, even if it's like a silly comic book movie or a drama. So I don't hate documentaries, but it's like they make me depressed. <laughs> I already know this. I already know that pollution's gonna kill us. I already know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't wanna watch this crap. So. Yeah, you already know the world's bad. <laughs> yeah, right, you know? So this one I saw because it was like, oh man, he's in person, Q&A, and it's about a famous boxer. I love the sport of boxing. Julio Cesar Chavez is like ultimate, ultra famous Mexican boxer. I don't know what I would have asked now, but, <laughs> but it was cool. Really? Wow, so that was another one. Yeah. One that I remember I got to go to was, I think it was at the Egyptian Theater. That's really cool. And I got to see the fantastic Mr. Fox pre-screening. And I got to see Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach afterward. And I was like 10 feet away from him. He's like one of my favorite filmmakers. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we're very lucky that we get to do things like that here. One of the ones that made me laugh really hard one time is I went to the Arrow Theater. And it was really funny because it was this 80s director. He directed a slew of 80s action movies. We were laughing really, really hard because he was telling us how it was making a movie in the 80s. Wow. And their movie called Commando. It's with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's like busting out of his shirt in the 80s. Okay. And uh, somebody asked a question. I can't remember what the question was, but he goes, you have no idea how pre-September 11th is to make a movie. Mm -hmm. He goes, all the airport scenes you saw, I drove right up to LAX, got out, saw, you know, the sky cab and said, take me to the tower and gave him 20 bucks. I went to the tower guy said, here's a hundred bucks. We need this plane to just keep landing. The guy's like, okay. And he just kept slipping him a hundred bucks. <laughs> And that, no, and this was an action primetime blockbuster summer movie. Man, I remember when I could go to the gate with right. a family member to say goodbye and like, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to be great to interview because like, I already want to talk about five other things that we mentioned, but we probably should get to the movies. Absolutely. What movie did you choose to talk about today? I chose A Midnight in Paris. It's a fairly new movie. I would say about six or seven years old, roughly. And I chose it because it was just a strange part of my life where I was having kind of like that midlife crisis, I guess you would say, and you realize your regrets and you say, okay, I want to do something. Yeah. This movie had like that effect on me because because it was the moment that I decided to go back to school. Mm -hmm. I had been out of school for a long time. I started college and never finished it. And I really, really thought that I was done with school. Mm -hmm. I realized how many doors were like closing up and, and thinking, okay, maybe education is the key. So I'm definitely going back. Right. I had a different outlook. I wasn't a teenager going like, oh, school. Okay. I need to graduate and get a PhD. And that was my mentality, right? I went head on to education and said, okay, I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to ace every single freaking class. And the craziest thing happened was I started enjoying myself. Totally. I, like I'm talking everything, like mathematics, language, English, and English, which I thought I was a pretty good student at. It was mind blowing. I started finding out about authors I never knew about or that I heard about and just never Ernest Hemingway and, and you know I was like yeah I know who he is mm. 
but I never read Old Man in the Sea and this and that. Mm-hmm. And then one of the books that my English 101 class selected was The Great Gatsby. Right. F. Scott Fitzgerald's lyricist. It was forced upon me, not in a bad way, but just more like, this is your, what you got to read. You're going to be like writing a journal every night and stuff like that. Yeah. So I had a dictionary with me, started learning like big, huge words and that I'd never heard before, which was a great, great adventure. Right. I love Gatsby. I love this guy, Nick Haraway. And like, I just fell in love with it. Okay. Halfway through the book, Midnight in Paris debuted. Right. And I went with our mutual friend. Friend of Ryan Martindale. <laughs> One of our other really good entertainment friends. Hey, Ryan. <laughs> Shout out to Orion. <laughs> Orion's awesome. He's like, well, hey, let's go to the movies. Who cares what's playing? And Midnight in Paris was playing. And I fell in love with the movie. Mm-hmm. And we were just laughing the whole freaking time. Like, and-, and I can only imagine Orion too, because he's such a big reader. And yeah, it's so great. We're watching the movie as my mind is being nurtured with this new literacy that's happening, right? And I'm watching the movie and I'm like, who the hell is Gertrude Stein? And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to go find out who that is. And, and my mind was just like on fire watching the movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and having a good time. And then with most of them, I knew, you know, like, oh my God, this is hilarious. Like, right. I love the fantasy genre where it does dabble in the impossible. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like other people say, oh, this is not a real movie. I'm like, kind of is. That's the point of the, telling a story and watching a movie, right? You escape. So this movie blended them perfectly because it has one foot firmly in reality and one firmly in fantasy. Totally. Rachel McAdams' character, she played it brilliantly. I'm like, oh, that bitch. Like, she's so good. And the character's like, I want to murder her, right? Like, <laughs> So good at being bad. Yeah. Yeah. And she's great. And here's the crazy part. It's a movie that goes between uh, decades and eras, right? Mm -hmm. And when he's in his time, people like this exist. Absolutely. It hits home. It's like, oh my gosh, I could totally be in this guy Gil Pender's shoes. Like, I would love to go to Paris and then like stroll off at midnight and then find some carriage and and be whisked away into the past. That's really why I chose this movie. I think it had a a great effect on me. And I, I still enjoy watching it to this day. Right. It'll still make me laugh. And it's it's just really cool. Yeah. One of my biggest dreams is to go to Paris. I've never been. And this movie just only like made sure that I put a pin in it and say, yeah, you're going to do this one day. Like this is for sure going to happen because mm-hmm. it looks like a, a very romantic city. And then everybody knows it as a romantic city. Absolutely. And this movie literally just sold me on it. Like saying, yeah, like you got to go before you die. <laughs> like just Yeah. And I mean, the city has just such a history that you can't help but feel something. Yeah. Just to let people know that in the movie, it's Owen Wilson's character and Rachel McAdams, and they're going to be getting married. And Owen Wilson, his character is Gil. Like you said, Gil Pender. He's a writer. Yeah, at midnight, he goes wandering down the street and ends up in a carriage and that takes him back in time. Do you remember what era it took him back to? I think the first time he goes back is like the 1940s. Okay, yeah. And then he goes back again to the 40s, but he meets the romantic interest in the movie. Right. And she's in love with a different past. So <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. There's not only a lot of like really good actors, but when they go into the past, there's just so many great artists and writers. There's F. Scott Fitzgerald. There's Ernest Hemingway, Gertrude Stein, Dave god dolly picasso yeah it's just it's so neat how he was able to get so many of those people into it 
what do you relate to most about it? I relate to, honestly, the biggest part is the fantasy part. I have a story in mind. It dawned on me kind of like a dream. But when I moved into my apartment, I had this dream one time and it was a daydream. Like I was knocked out on my couch. What if I had like a secret compartment in my apartment that took me to like this cool underground jazz club? Ooh, okay. Uh-huh. And like, oh, that'd be cool if I met ghosts from the past. Nat King Cole or, you know, Dizzy Gillespie or just famous jazz people. Mm-hmm. I really thought about that. I really would like to write a story about that, which I am writing actually. Right. You know, still a work in progress, but I thought about that. And so when I saw that movie, it was like, I was like, man, this is like my dream. Like, yeah, he does get whisked into a world where you're like, oh my God, he's seeing things and talking to people. This is incredible. That's what I relate to the most is that he's like a writer. Good. When I was a teenager, I'd laugh at people with journals and now I keep a journal. I'm like, yeah, this is super important. Especially as a writer, when you're writing in a journal, things start coming out that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten to if you hadn't just been freehand writing. Yeah. That's a neat idea that you had for your story. And it reminded me of a writing exercise when I was in elementary school. I think I was like fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. And we were supposed to write a paragraph or essay about if we could go back in time and meet anybody from any period, who would you want to meet? And me being a fourth, fifth grade Asian girl, (laughs) I put Alfred Hitchcock. That's fantastic. Was a teacher like, oh my gosh, this girl's a genius. (laughs) That's what I don't want to mean. Yeah, I don't know. She might have thought that I was weird or crazy. But at the time, you know, Nick and Knight was like such a big thing. So I used to watch Alfred Hitchcock Presents every night. And I just loved those like Black Mirror type, you know, story or Twilight Zone stories that just like. Yeah. Growing up as kids, my brother and sister, we had a steady diet of Twilight Zone and Columbo. That explains so much. Yeah, that's what it it was if it was long i know how to get away with murder trust me i, I got it I, I, I totally know where you're coming from like i re- i would reference i'd be like oh just like in twilight zone and it would look at me like what like what is this dude crazy like- <laughs> yeah totally same thing here i was like alfred hitchcock yeah what kid wouldn't want to meet alfred hitchcock i wish i still had that paper because i i don't even know what i wrote because i probably had to write like what the interaction would be like i wish i still had it but i just remember writing that yeah Yeah. oh and then i also wanted to talk about how you were saying that when you went back to school you started reading like all the old like classic books because i went through a period like that too it's kind of messed up like the school system you know when we were younger yeah Instead of finding out what the kids are interested in trying to cultivate that, like they're like, these are the great American writers that you have to read. And when I was in high school, you know, I was supposed to read like Lord of the Flies and all that, but I was not interested in it. So I just thought I was a bad reader. I just thought I didn't like to read because I didn't want to read those books. And so it stopped me from reading a lot. But then finally, when I was 19 or 20, I read Fight Club because I had just seen the movie and the movie had such a huge impact on me that I wanted to read the book. And that's what I realized that I actually like to read things that I'm interested in. Yeah. So I went through a period where I was reading the classics. I went back and I read 1984 and I read Animal Farm and I read Lord of the Flies and and The Great Gatsby. And it's just funny how when you're younger, you're not really interested, but then like as an adult, you can go back and read those things. And I think it just has to be the right time. Yeah. Like I even bought your book. Aw. Well, thank you. 
thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, but yeah, I did like you and I kept an open mind for the new stuff. One of my favorite books now today is a book called The Running Man by Stephen King. He takes the name of Richard Bachman, I believe you pronounce it. And the book was turned into a movie in the 80s, but they, they turned it into a, again, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like muscle man movie. Is that the one where they have a thing on their neck that if they go too far, it explodes? Yeah. Okay. The book is very dark, very gothic and, and very violent. Mm -hmm. And it's very real. It reminded me in 1984, like it was very surreal. It's like a post-apocalyptic future, super rich, super poor people. There's an evil game show and it's it's a like a fantastic book. It's it's amazing. In the movie, Prisons of the Future are like they just have a neck thing. In the book, it's still very closely tied to the limit of technology at the time in the 1970s, I think. Right. And so he doesn't go into detail about it, but there is like tracking devices that the guy wears through the book. I remember finishing that book and being like, Hollywood is incredible. They took this book and made the movie that we know today. And it has nothing to do with the book. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, I know. It's always hard reading the book book before the movie or seeing the movie before the book because one can influence the other it was kind of the same thing with Fight Club oh wow it was written by Chuck Palahniuk and I was actually really surprised seeing the movie first and then reading the book that they stuck to the book pretty much word for word the only thing is they changed the ending and I actually like the movie ending better than in the book yeah. I think you mentioned your favorite character is Gil my favorite character yeah who is your favorite character favorite character has to be uh, the Ernest Hemingway character Oh, yeah. Oh, God. He is so great. What's his name? It is, I have it right here, Corey Stahl. Yeah, Corey Stahl. Yeah, oh my gosh, he's so great. And he's in a bunch of stuff. Like, I think he's in Ant-Man. Mm -hmm. This was one of the first times I saw him, the actor. The second time I saw him, before the whole Kevin Spacey, you know, crazy stuff, right? Yikes. He was in the in that show, the Netflix show, the, the president one. the House of Cards. House of Cards, yeah. And he's in the, like, the first season, a couple episodes. Oh, he's the boss. He plays Hemingway so great. And I'm, I've never seen a video of Hemingway, but I imagine I'm like, that's Hemingway. Right. Like, holy crap. Everything you hear about, right? Him drinking and just fighting people. And I, I thought he was really funny in the movie. Totally. The way he just never broke character and kept it real. It was awesome. I think he's my favorite in that movie. Yeah. I think Gil, Hemingway, and uh, Rachel McAdams' character was like my favorite as far as like how they executed their roles was like. Right. When I was watching the movie just this last week to get ready for this, I just like, why is Gil marrying Inez? Like, they just seemed like so mismatched. Trevor, my boyfriend, he thought that Inez just wanted to be with a writer, like for status reasons. Here's that part where I was saying that people like that exist in our world, sadly. Mm -hmm. I see both men and women in, in every walk of life doing that to the point where they even question why someone would question. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation once with a friend of mine and I just asked them, I'm like, hey, like finding someone and, and getting married and all that stuff and thinking of having kids, like, how did you do it? Is there a fucking roadmap that I, that I didn't get in the mail? Like, right. <laughs> You didn't get the manual? Yeah, right? Like, is there a guide or something? And his answer even blew my mind. He was like, oh, I don't know. I just thought, you know, I'm getting older. So I'm just going to go get married and settle down. I'm like, that's it? That's how easy it was? Like, you know what I mean? Right. Part of me is that romantic. Like, yeah, I want to find someone I fall in love with and be like, hell yeah. Like, this is my ride or die partner. And yes, we want kids. Right. We don't kill each other because we live in the same space. Like, that's the dream goal. And I feel like some people don't even think about it. Yeah. It's like a scheduled task. Right. And that's why that character is so great to me is because, yeah, there's people that are just like, yeah, I'm scheduling this. Yeah. Well, and her parents were so awful to him, too. <laughs> 
Yeah, her mom, the mom was off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> She's like, cheapest cheap. She was like, you get what you pay for. I'm like, oh my God, I've known a person like that. Uh-huh. Like, wow, this person's evil. Like, what the hell? They got like two faces. Oh my gosh. But they do it like so subtly. Yeah, right? Yes, yes. Like like almost indirect insults where you're like, wow, that guy's an asshole. Like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> My dad, when he was younger, diehard Republican, like, mm-hmm. and totally like when I watched that movie, I was like, holy crap, that's, that dad is my dad. Like hard work, no excuses and, and GOP, damn Democrats, like, like totally like that. Something. Yeah, my dad is very Republican as well. <laughs> I totally know where that character is coming from. And to me, like every character in the movie thoroughly enjoyed. I know. There was something that Gil says at the beginning when they're having breakfast or lunch and they're talking about their political views. Oh, about the GOP? Yeah. And yeah, he's like, I think you have to be delusional. <laughs> he's like, but we're American. We get to debate. We get to, you know, and it's it's the best because it's kind of like the reverse of what the parents are doing to him, like subtly insulting him. He kind of does that to the dad at the beginning. But he's like clawing back. Yeah, he's like, everybody gets their have their opinion, however wrong they may be. Yeah. When he says that, the dad's face is like, oh, it's so good. I was like, oh, man. And like I said, everybody's great in that movie. Like it was well cast. It was... Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like if I had a chance at Marianne Courtyard, that's the woman I would marry. Oh, yeah. Not even knowing anything about her. <laughs> he's great in it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have maybe a favorite quote or moment in the movie? Literally one of my favorite, like where I just laughed so hard was when he meets Hemingway. Mm-hmm. It cuts to the scene where he's in the room. Okay. I presume he's saying I'm Gil Pender and the actor, he's looking right at him and going, he just says Hemingway. In the theater, we j- everybody's laughing at that point. <laughs> Because he's being introduced to all these famous people and Hemingway's just like looking at him with a whiskey in his hand. He's just like Hemingway. Right. He just says Hemingway. (laughs) And it says everything about his character, probably just in him saying that. Yeah, like right away, that was his introduction and you know what he's all about. And the way he just says it is hilarious. I would say that's probably my favorite moment, my line, my one-liner in the movie. And the next one's really just the dialogue scene where he buys a gift for the romantic interest Mm -hmm. and like he throws out the, the packaging of the earring box and then so they come home and there's like surprise him and right away rachel mcadams in in perfect character form she's like my earrings are missing and she's like oh the help stole it and he's like no 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 no." right then he's all oh they were just in the bathroom (laughs) that back and forth dialogue is oh like epic that's another thing too with gill's character i could see woody allen in owen's performance like that that neurotic yes very much (laughs) oh yeah you could totally tell it was almost maybe written for him and he cast Owen Wilson perfectly. Right. This is something that I'm kind of adding to the episodes, just kind of like fun facts that I looked up about the movie. And maybe you've heard of some of them, or maybe they'll be a surprise to you. Yes. The first one I have is Marion Cotillard was Woody Allen's first choice for Adriana. She's the love interest that Owen Wilson meets. And Rachel McAdams was his first choice for Inez also. Oh, that is awesome. Wow. Once he saw them or he just picked them, he just said, it has to be them. I think after he wrote it, he just was like, that has to be them. Maybe like it doesn't have to be them, but he wanted them. And luckily they were able to be in it. Damn, that's a scary good filmmaker. Like he just knew. Yeah. The thing that I'm iffy about with this is the whole Woody Allen thing. Like I feel very, I kind of just have to separate the art from the artist because him as a person, I'm not sure I'm a fan of. Yeah. 
No, I, I totally agree with you. I was just thinking about that the other day. I kid you not, because um, we deal with our through our lives, and I'm noticing that I'm on the opposite side of like the whole erase the history or ban people because of something they did like 30 years ago or whatever. Like what we see now, that like, hey, we found a tweet from you 20 years ago, and like, but and that's so you condemned now. You're like, right? Okay, look, I'm not saying it's okay that they said these things, right? Mm-hmm. This case in point, what I was thinking about was Weinstein, right? Right, right. Crow to the earth deserves to go to prison, but then for some reason the other day I saw, I think it was an Oscar winner, and I. I can't even think of it right now, but it opened and it said like Weinstein, whatever, you know, the logo. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking it takes so many people to make a movie. Yeah. Forget just the actors, the gaff, the lighting, the script supervisor, the script writer. Right. Over and over and over again. It is an army put together in a short period of time to do something in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And I always right. think of that and I say, yeah, you're right. Like it is messed up, but nobody's praising him. We're just like praising what was put together. Mm-hmm. We're praising that work of art. Yeah. Kevin Spacey, for example, like it did sour my image of him. I like watch movies and I'm like, man, but there's some movies where he's so damn good and you're like, guy's an amazing actor. You're such a good actor. Why do you have to be such a horrible person? Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously, if I hear that Tom Hanks is accused of something, I'm just going to fucking lose it. I'm like, fuck my life. <laughs> yeah. It's just going to be horrible, man. Totally. Here's another fact. It says that Carlo Bruni, she was the one who played the tour guide at the Rodin Museum. Right. Uh, she was the first lady of France at the time of filming. She was married to the president. Whoa. Holy moly. That's a crazy fact. Isn't it? Can you imagine? And he, she just got this small part in a Woody Allen movie and she doesn't even have a name. She's just the tour guide. Wow. That's fantastic, though. Yeah. I, you know, it would be even better if we found out that Woody Allen didn't even know that. Right. Like, he's like, oh, I like your hair. Let's can we use you. <laughs> I'm going to spit my water out. I was like, what the hell? That would be like, you know, having uh, Michelle Obama <laughs> play a tour guide. Yeah, 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 right? The, before the job I have now, um, I worked at Sammy's Cameras. I got a promotion. They moved me to the cinema division. So we, we got to work with, like, all these productions where we would sell them, like, cinema equipment. Yeah. I kid you not. I'd known this guy for like almost a year and I was working next to him for about three months and I didn't know this about him. I'm sitting there writing an email and then something happened and it just came out like through someone else. And then a coworker was like, yeah, Kenji, my friend, that's who I was working with. We had a picture of Miles Davis on the wall. It was a beautiful black and white picture. Oh, that's awesome. He goes, I wonder how Kenji feels about seeing that every day. I go, oh, is he a big Miles Davis fan? And he's like, that's his stepdad. Kenji's stepdad was Miles Davis. Wow. I was like, what? Kenji's Japanese. That's a very Japanese name. (laughs) My brain just went like, and I didn't know I was like working with this guy. Actually, I have a story similar to that because I work at the store Fred Siegel in Hollywood. It's a famous store that, you know, a lot of celebrities and tourists go to. Yeah. There was this coworker who got hired. Yeah. And his name is Chet. I was texting one of my coworkers one night and I said something and my co-worker mentioned that Chet is Tom Hanks's son Wow! and I was like you're joking and he's like no it was Chet Hanks I don't know if you've heard of him did he look like him I think he looks a lot more like his mom probably like Rita Wilson uh, it just blew my mind because he's just so different from what you think Tom Hanks is he didn't act like he was better than anybody but that's, re- that's refreshing people kind of know of him because he's a white guy but he's a rapper so <laughs> that kind of tells you a little bit <laughs> Okay, here's a really cool fact. Woody Allen has a habit of only giving actors the script pages concerning their characters. Tom Hiddleston plays F. Scott Fitzgerald. He was unaware of the film's time travel storyline until he met Owen Wilson on set and asked him why he wasn't wearing period accurate clothing like the rest of the cast. That is awesome. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) That is great. 
That is that, it, it, kudos to him for recognizing, huh? Because he's wearing a suit. I know. How come you're not a, as uncomfortable as I am? Yeah, right. He's probably sweating. That's true. Those period clothes are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then this one I pulled because since you worked with cameras, I thought you might have more to say about it. It says, this is the first Woody Allen film to go through a digital intermediate instead of being color timed in the traditional photochemical way. Ah, that is interesting. Wow. Yeah. Because towards the end of my tenure, at Sammy's where I was, there was a new Sony camera that mimicked film, but like for real. Mm-hmm. We had a Q&A of our own when we launched the camera for Sony. It was like a joint thing. Mm-hmm. I asked like one of the guys, I go, do you foresee like this is truly the end of film and it looks like it's a choice and it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. Some studios are hesitant to work with Tarantino because they know he loves film and film stock is crazy expensive. Not only expensive to, to buy, but to, to process is like outrageously expensive. Where other directors they prefer because they're like, yeah, no problem, digital camera, no problem, we shoot on that mm-hmm. so this camera physically mimics the look in this the texture right which is pretty wild and you can't tell we were looking at like 4k images and i'm like that looks like film right and then the last one is kind of long but i found it really really interesting this is one of four films in which rachel mcadams stars as the love interest of a time traveler the other ones were the time traveler's wife in which she played the title character's wife in about time in which she played the girlfriend of domino gleason and dr strange in which she played the girlfriend to the time traveler, Dr. Strange. That's right. But listen to this. In none of these movies does McAdams' character get to participate in time travel herself. Wow, that is awesome. That is wicked crazy. You can't even make that. Yeah, whoever made that connection, it's like I would have never thought of that. But yeah, it's totally true. She didn't get to time travel in any of those movies. She'll get her shot. I have faith. She'll be in a movie that time travel should be like, finally. Yeah. See, you surprised me on all of them. They were great. (laughs) Now I know something about it. I can totally see myself tonight talking about this movie. That's why, you know, I made this podcast is because I love movies. I love talking about movies. You know, they've always been a big part of my life also. Yeah. I think I got everything that I wanted to cover. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Anything that we didn't get to talk about? I think it was really, really great. The ending I love the most because I was rooting for the couple, right? Marianne Cortillard and Owen Wilson. And you're like, oh, that's cool. They're going to really fall in love. And then you realize how different they are. And she's long for a past. And then he makes that sudden realization that the pedantic a-hole character in the beginning of the movie, he's kind of right. Like, yeah, you know what? I just got to live my life like now, like today, you know? And he has that like kind of bittersweet goodbye yeah and then i love how like he comes out and it's another smoking hot actress uh side cedo it's leo cedo yeah and she's like beautiful yeah you could totally tell like yeah they're the same right rachel mcgarrett character was way too fast and then this girl was way too slow and this was like the perfect right in the middle yeah and she worked at like an antique store and throughout the movie they run into each other yeah just like in his book Yeah, yeah yeah And it's kind of ambiguous too. It's not like they're for sure gonna get together. It's not a for sure thing. It's like they're walking in the rain and then that's how the movie closes and you're like, that was perfect. My favorite part, I think, is when Owen Wilson and uh, Marion Cotillard, they go back even further into the past and Marion Cotillard's character is from the 40s. But when they go back to, I think it's the 20s maybe or maybe late 1800s, she's like, no, this is the perfect time. And you're always nostalgic. No matter what time period you're living in, you're going to be nostalgic for the past. And I think in that scene, the the artist that they're talking to, he goes, no, no, no. He's like, the real time was this time. So there's never really like a perfect time in history. He realized he makes that really 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And it's a kind of a hidden message in that movie in the sense that we have to make the best of what we got. We have to make the best of this time now, which is a scary proposition and all the crazy crap going on. But, you know. Yeah, there's always going to be crazy crap going on. So. That, amen. You know, that's true. That's the thing. We're nostalgic of the past of how we remember it. And we always remember the good. I heard something where it's like a guy who, you know, has, was like 100 years old and he'd lived through the Spanish flu and World War One, World War War II, Vietnam, 9-11. And so like when you think about like how much has gone on in the last hundred years, it's, it kind of puts into the perspective. We feel like everything's going to end soon, but really. If you, yeah, if you think about it in a positive sense, the world seems like it's on fire and it's the same thing. <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Leslie, for having me. And, and this was fun. Yeah, and thank you for being here and doing this. Oh, thank you. I would do it again. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. Thanks, Bobby. And that's the end of another episode of Entertain Me, Please. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you liked the show and have a favorite movie that you would like to be interviewed about, direct message me on our Instagram page at Entertain Me, Please. And please is spelled with two E's at the end. Or you can email me at Entertain Me, Please podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Thank you so much again, and I will see you next time. <laughs>